Welcome to Sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Last week we had the opportunity in Luke 13 to study a section of scripture where we asked, are you an admirer or a disciple of Jesus? And the challenge was to not put off the decision and for everyone else that may, may we strive in Christ, in his power, to become more like him. This week, as we study Luke chapter 14, I have a question for you. So I want to give you time at home with your family or by yourself to even write this down and consider this. Give you like 30 to 40 seconds to contemplate this. If your house was burning down and you could only save three non-living items, so you get your kids for free, your, you know, your pets are rescued, best of luck to all the fish owners. If you could rescue three non-living items from your home, what would you take? I'll give you 30 seconds to discuss that and feel free even to throw your answers up into our little chat forum there as well. It's kind of funny, if I were to think about this, I would rescue from my home, I'd take our hard drive, I would take my wife's computer, and I would take the stack of photos my parents have from their 40th anniversary party. What we would rescue shows us what we value, whether that be memories, things we can't get back, family heirlooms, or the things we need to survive, even like a face mask so we can get out of our condo or apartment building without having to you know, speak moistly on people. Thank you, Justin Trudeau, for that disgusting reference. Um, today, as we dive into the book of Luke, I think we will see two values emerge from scripture and then a challenge for the way we live our lives. So if you have a Bible with you, feel free to open up to Luke chapter 14. Uh, verses 1 to 14 is where we're going to be reading from. And just keep that Bible open on your phone or in your lap in front of you. And what we're going to do is just read a verse or two at a time and talk about the text and slowly work our way through the passage. Let me begin in Luke chapter 14 with the first two verses. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling in his body. I love this. We have Jesus on the Sabbath uh, healing people. We saw in Luke chapter 13, two weeks ago, Jesus in the synagogue on the Sabbath healing a woman who had been bent over for 18 years and, su and, and just suffering for that period of time. Yet there's some really kind of weird, interesting things going on in this passage. The Pharisees don't tend to be big fans of Jesus, so it's interesting that a prominent Pharisee, along with a bunch of experts in the law, invite Jesus over on a Sabbath for a meal. More than that, in verse 1, it simply says Jesus was being carefully watched. And so it comes as no surprise that a man suffering from abnormal swelling, probably uh, dropsy, shows up a man who may be terminally ill and has no other options, in front of Jesus, and of course, the Pharisees are expecting Jesus to heal him. You know what? This is a trap. The Pharisees have set this beautiful trap. Jesus on the Sabbath in their house, a man who is ill, a man from the margins of society, who they know Jesus, of course, is going to heal. Because that's what he does. That's what he's been doing all throughout the book of Luke. And there they are, the Pharisees and their experts of the law, who will be well-placed not only to see it, but to provide witness against Jesus at a later date. But the thing is, Jesus sees the trap coming. 
So he asks a question. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Interesting to think the Sabbath is this really important day. And we studied this two weeks ago in Luke 13. The Sabbath is rooted in the creation story. God created the world in six days and on the seventh day, the Sabbath, he rested. It's so important that it actually shows up in the Ten Commandments itself. The religious people in their great zeal were attempting to protect this day by creating extra rules so as to ensure the Sabbath wasn't broken. Think of it this way. If you had a beautiful green uh, piece of grass in your lawn, the thing you would do to protect it is put a fence around it. Yet what the Pharisees were doing is that they put another fence around that fence and five feet away, more fences around all these fences. And by the end, their focus is all about making sure no one get anywhere close to breaking any of these rules than actually honoring what the Sabbath day was about. This is kind of the rabbinic tradition and the rules that had kind of emerged to make sure no one got anywhere close to breaking the Sabbath. But the thing is, Jesus taught from God's word, the law of Moses, where there is actually no prohibition or nothing preventing people from being healed on the Sabbath. So the question, is it lawful, which Jesus is asking, to the rabbinic tradition with its fences and its rules upon rules? It's not lawful, but to the law of Moses, there's nothing wrong at all. And more than that, and we saw this two weeks ago in Luke 13, the Sabbath is a day for restoration, it's for rest and for celebration. And what better way to celebrate the Sabbath than with the healing of a man who has been suffering potentially for years. It's interesting, the lawyers, the reason why they don't answer back is because this is a trap. They're trying to ensnare Jesus in their detailed legal system so as to accuse him. So Jesus doesn't really care about this. He proceeds to heal the man and then traps the Pharisees and experts of the law with his own question. Let's keep reading in verse 5. Then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. So how is this a trap? Well, if the Pharisees and the religious experts say yes to this, they're going to seem like they're breaking the law. They'd be willing to break the law or be soft on their own rules. The rabbinic tradition states that unless a life is at risk, you couldn't rescue it. And, you know, technically, if your son or an ox fell down a well, is their life at risk? You could kind of just be like, you know what? It's the Sabbath. We're just going to leave you in there. Here's some food. Maybe some of you, some of you be like, you know what? You were a little bit rude to me this morning. I'm going to give you some time to think about your actions down in that well. Yet, even if their life was at risk, the reality is, even as a parent, I would say this, I would immediately pull them out. Because life matters. Whether it's, the, it's my son or one of the animals in my home, life is valuable. And of course, the Pharisees as well would immediately pull their child or their animals and rescue them. See, the Pharisees are trapped. If they say yes, they seem weak on their own rules that they've created. And if they seem no, they seem cold-hearted and kind of callous. 
the first time the Pharisees and experts of the law didn't answer Jesus's question was because they were trying to trap him. This time, Jesus had actually trapped them and they had no answer for him. What we see in this first six verses is kind of the emergence of the first upside down kingdom value. Jesus is essentially asking these Pharisees and experts of the law, what do you care more about? Do you care more about religious piety or caring for those in need? Do you care more about following man-made rules that make you feel superior or allowing the Sabbath to be a day of restoration, healing, and celebration? Jesus was just exposing their misguided values, their self-made religion that made them feel superior over caring for those on the margins of society. I think the person I would least like to be in this story is the host, because Jesus has just made this party a really awkward scene and killed the vibe of everything that's going on. And as we see in verse 7, he's not gonna he's gonna continue to make things awkward for everyone. Let's read. When he, Jesus noticed how the guests picked their places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may be invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to the better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. Try to picture the scene from the ancient Near East. You used to have these tables that are like kind of U-shaped and the base of the table is where the host would sit. People are trying to sit either to the right or the left of the host. And if you couldn't get to those seats, what you would try to do is get to the seat, the other U-shaped tables that are closest to the host. It's like everyone is trying to gain that seat of honor the goal is to get close to the host as possible. The risk is if you overestimate your worth, you'll end up with the worst possible seat. It's like some weird high stakes, high drama, high society game that I don't quite understand. Something like out of Downton Abbey or something like that. You know, if I'm honest, the last time I experienced anything with this much pressure was riding the yellow school bus in grade school where everyone clambered on the field trip to get to the seat at the back of the bus. They were making seat buddy deals before you get on the bus. And the last thing you wanted was to be stuck at the front of the bus with either your teacher or your bus monitor, especially if the bus monitor or teacher was your mom or dad, because that was slightly embarrassing for me in grade four. Sorry, mom and dad. As we see this wild chaotic scene of everyone trying to vie and gain position closest to the host, just a couple of thoughts. This is absolute improper etiquette. You're not supposed to be doing this in the ancient Near East culture. You're supposed to kind of sit back and appear humble. The second thing is what Jesus shares with these people is actually really common sense advice. He's giving them like no brainer advice. Just like if you were to go to a wedding and you were to sit down uh, uh, you, you would not walk in and sit beside the bride or the groom because you thought, hey, this would be a great seat for me. 
you know, if you do that, the MC is going to get on the mic. He's going to say, excuse me, sir, in that seat over there. That's for the bridal party. Would you please get up? And if that's like a South Asian wedding with like 800 seats, that's a long walk of shame all the way back to your seat. Like, this is improper etiquette. This is common sense. The people know this. Yet, it's interesting. They still are trying to fight for these seats. Why is that? Well, in verse 7, it said, When Jesus noticed how the guests picked their places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. The people are after honor. The people are doing this for honor. And I think maybe respect or recognition is kind of our modern-day North American equivalent of honor. People at the party wanted to honor uh, the honor of sitting close to the host. And in some way, I don't think we are actually that different. We also crave recognition and respect from those around us. Think about uh, YouTube or Instagram posts like you spend your time curating and making things just perfect so that people will click like and share uh, what you post online. We crave that recognition and respect. If we make a meal for a friend or bake something for them, we want to hear that respect or recognition. Wow, you're a great cook. You're a great baker. We want that appreciation. Some of us want uh, appreciation or recognition for our achievements or for our work. And we want to be compensated equally for what we do in our jobs. Some of us want, you know, that uh, we want recognition for what our kids have accomplished. We want to put a bumper sticker on the car that says, my child is an A student. Unfortunately, my parents never had that opportunity. So maybe I'll live that out with my kids. Some of us crave respect and recognition for our possessions, our homes, or even all the effort and time and energy we have given to our church community in volunteering and serving. You know, here's the thing. All the things I just listed, they're great things. The problem is when we live for what they give us instead of doing them to serve our Lord. When we live for the honor, respect, and recognition that we will get from them. Now, just to be clear, Jesus isn't saying you should walk into a party and try to sit in the worst possible seat. He's not saying like, take 15 selfies for the picture for a picture and then like, make sure you post the worst possible one. And he's also not saying you should never talk about, you should only talk about your child's failings. Like put a sticker on your car that says, my child is a D student at best. So what is he saying? He's saying, Stop seeking out your own honor and recognition. Stop chasing after what brings you respect. And then he clearly articulates the second value of this text in the next verse in verse 11. Read along with me. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This sounds really familiar to Luke chapter 13, verse 30. It's actually word for word. Jesus will speak this again in Luke chapter 18. Everyone at the party was trying to get the best seat possible. Jesus wanted them to realize that in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven, fighting your way to the top isn't the way things are done. So how do things work in the kingdom of God? All throughout Luke, we see the strong and successful of society 
reject Jesus and those on the margin, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the women and minorities continue to move toward him. We see those who are willing to come to Christ, not as admirers, but as disciples, those who confess their sin and turn to him. These are the ones he powerfully uses to change the world for his glory. Kingdom values are so different than earthly values. This, this value of the upside-down kingdom is seen all throughout the story of the Bible. Think about this passage from Philippians 2, and just listen to as I read about what Jesus did for us on the cross. Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue acknowledge Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen. Imagine the God of the universe coming to this earth, born in a barn, no respect, no status, condemned as a common criminal. Yet his death and resurrection on the cross is what allows all humankind to be brought back into relationship with the one true God of the universe. He humbled himself and was made first. Here it is. True power in the kingdom of God begins with humility. Let me say that again. True power in the kingdom of God begins with humility. In this passage, we see the val two values emerge uh, are articulated clearly about this upside-down kingdom. In the first verse, six verses, Jesus is asking this question. What do you care about more? Do you care about religious piety or do you care for those in need? Do you care about following man-made rules that make you feel superior and better than others? Or do you care about those who are in desperate need of help? The second value we see as the dinner guests gather in verses uh, 7 to 11. Do you care more about yourself or do you care more about others? Do you chase after your own honor and respect and recognition with your friends or in your jobs? Or do you seek to serve others in the same way that Christ served us when he gave his life for us on the cross? It's good to know these kingdom values, yet how do they shape our lives? Let's read the last three verses together. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. 
just to be clear, Jesus isn't saying you can't go to parties or invite your family and friend over. Jesus clearly goes to weddings and spends time dining with his own family. What are you speaking of here is a kingdom value. Don't just be hospitable to those who can bless you back. Use all the resources that the Lord has blessed you with for the kingdom of God, whether in your home, whether with your time, your job, your money, your connections, your skills, your talents, or your passion. Use what God has given you to bless those on the margin. Use what God has given you to care for others more than yourself. Honestly, hearing these values, it's, it's not how this world operates. Share a quick story. My, my wife has a real heart and passion for uh, people within our neighborhood and she makes real great connections uh, at the park or with different families. And one day there's this family we met and they, as I learned the story, they uh, were from Afghanistan and actually the husband uh, fled during the war, claimed refugee status somewhere else, and then moved to Canada several years later. And my wife suggested, hey, Mandy was like, we should invite them over to our house. And my honest reaction was, oh, you know what? I just want a night off. I want to, you know, I want to do a puzzle or I just want to read or I just want to watch Netflix and just zone out. I don't want to like have another family over. And really what it was is I'm like, I'm not really comfortable with these people. This is going to be kind of a tiring, exhausting time. Yet, you know, I was like, fine, we should, we should do this. And begrudgingly, I was kind of like, let's, let's do this as we had them over at our house and their kids were interacting with our kids and we were having a great time together. The husband turned to me and said, you know, I've been in Canada several years of my life. And this is the first time a Canadian has ever invited me into their house. And I remember thinking in that moment, I didn't really want to invite you to my house. But my wife understood these values of the kingdom way better than I was living them out in that moment. I'm thankful to my wife for understanding the kingdom values of caring for those on the margins and caring for thinking of others as more important than ourselves. And that day was really humbling just to realize that, wow, God has got so much more work to do in my heart uh, for me to become more of his disciple for his glory. As we kind of wrap up our time here, I just want to leave you with a few questions to consider. First, how can you use what you have to make a statement for the kingdom of God? To live out of the kingdom values of serving others first and caring for those who are often left behind. Second, how have you been seeking out your own honor, respect, or recognition over caring for others, especially those on the margins of society? Just as Jesus humbled himself for us, we can live out of these kingdom values in our hospitality for others. And as we do, the church rises up as this beautiful place of welcome for those on the margins of society. And may God continue to use us at First Alliance to be this type of church for his glory, living out his kingdom value so more and more people will know who he is and worship him. 
Amen. God bless. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.